all so much for joining us. We've decided to do a video broadcast today for the Downstate Abbey podcast, and uh, we have the pleasure and honor of Sheriff Richard Giardino joining us today. I really appreciate your time, sir. And Thank you uh, very We much. really welcome your perspective. There's some really concerning issues facing us as New Yorkers. I know it's not just a New York issue. These are issues that are affecting us nationally, and I think it's really important that people hear the truth behind the smoke screens and behind really the lies of what the public is being told about a lot of issues such as the bail reform and um, the reforms that are needed in criminal justice system have been kind of, in my opinion, they've been perverted and they've actually made the problems that we see in the criminal justice system worse, in my opinion. Um, but people want to hear from you today, so I would love for you to um, just share with our listeners what's what's on your mind and on your heart and go for it. I appreciate it. I think it's important to note that now I'm, I'm currently the sheriff of Fulton County. It's a rural county in upstate New York. But before that, I spent 20 years on the bench as a county court mm -hmm. and acting Supreme Court judge. Tried over 200 cases, including 40 murder cases in mm -hmm. different counties around New York. Many murder cases in Schenectady, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Also, before that, I was an elected district attorney. So I, I look at this through the lens of an attorney by training mm -hmm. as a former judge who had to make decisions on bail and had to make decisions in trials and sentencing, and as a current sheriff. Sure. I think that you hit the nail on the head when you said there's a lot of misinformation, outright lies. But let's, let's just start with the bail. When they started that we need bail reform, which I agree, we do need bail reform, mm -hmm. but the yeah. way it was gone about was misleading to the public and dishonest. Mm -hmm. They said people need to get back to work so they can support their families. They need to support their children, and they need to be in school, college, or high school, and bail prevented that. Well, when it comes to violent crime in New York, most of the people who appeared in front of me, of all races, all religions, mm -hmm. all ages, weren't productive members of society. They weren't supporting the family if they had a family. They weren't attending college or high school, and and they and uh, they weren't working. Sure. So it was misleading to say bail prevents this from happening. What they did was take a couple of really bad cases, mm -hmm. and one was a misdemeanor out of Rikers Island where a young man died, committed suicide because he was detained for over two years on a misdemeanor. Yeah. Wow. And And it was horrific, but there was... The jailers, there was the courts, there was the defense attorneys, and there mm -hmm. was the DA. Any one of those people could have and should have caught what was going yeah. on. Yeah. So they take an extreme case and they modify the whole system. I, I have suggested that if you're going to criticize something, you have an alternative. Mm -hmm. I believe that the way they should have approached bail was they should have set a monetary amount that a judge had discretion in violations in misdemeanors and in felonies, and then in violent felonies versus nonviolent felonies. Sure. One of the things they tried to do was take away the elements that we used to look at in determining bail, which was connections to the community, mm -hmm. prior record in appearances of whether or not they had appeared or fled, sure. or bench warrants out, all reasonable. They've set up a system where, yes, you can look at bench warrants, but only if they're so recent or current. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had a lot of issues with how they went about it. It was very dishonest to the public yeah. um, and misleading. The, we did need bail reform. We do need bail reform. Yeah. What they have done was they've basically taken 30 years of changing the focus from the criminal to the victim. And it started in 1994. If you remember, O.J. Simpson was arrested for the crime of murder of two people, mm -hmm. which he later was acquitted of on the 
criminal side. But in 1994, they passed the Violence, uh, Violent Crime Act in the federal government, and they passed New York State, passed the domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And in both of those instances, during the legislative sessions, senators, congressmen, assemblymen, and senators in New York all talked about O.J. Simpson and domestic violence. That was before he was acquitted. Yeah. So yeah. they used the person who was, they were assuming was guilty under the criminal justice system, um, and they and they built this system to protect the victims of domestic violence. And by the way, there are men who are victims of domestic violence, not in sure. large numbers sure. as women, but that's a complaint we often get. Yeah. So one thing that led to is what was called a pro-arrest policy. So if a police officer got a call and there was a domestic issue, they could rely on injuries if they saw them on a victim. Mm-hmm. They could rely on whether the victim was scared. They could rely on hearsay in in that wasn't allowed in so many other cases. So it was a positive thing to protect the victim. Another thing that bail has hindered, in 1979, Janet Reno, who was the state's attorney in Miami-Dade County in Florida, Mm -hmm. her and a judge down there came up with the thought of drug treatment courts because we know so much of crime occurs because an individual is addicted to drugs or alcohol. So much. And they're either stealing Mm -hmm. or they're committing other crimes when they're they're high. Right. So they came up with drug court, and one of the fundamental foundations of drug court was the use of bail to tell somebody you're either going to jail or you're getting treatment. It was the leverage that was needed in that moment of crisis. It was leverage. And, And everyone recognized it as leverage. And in order for the system to work with drug treatment courts, you needed that. And you need it when there's a violation to set bail. And it probably saved lives oh, plenty def- of times. You they know? documentedly saved lives. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we do need some bail reform, and there's a lot oh, of yeah. damage done by bail. One of the things out of our uh, Mother's Day rally in mm-hmm. Albany, um, candidate for Congress, Liz Joy, and it's not about her running for Congress, she was maligned by several people. In the paper, it's the Daily Gazette itself in an editorial. They twisted some of her, her words about violent crimes. And, and, and we, in the criminal justice system, have labels that say this is a violent crime, mm-hmm. okay? Murder, assault first, assault second, burglary first, uh, certain weapons possessions. Sure. The public looks at it, and they don't understand what the criminal justice label is, mm-hmm. but they see, well, if you hit somebody, that's violent. <laughs> or if you kill somebody in a DWI accident, that's violent. So so a lot of times the public perception, what looks violent and is violent, is not lined up with what the statutes say. Yes. Can I just clarify to our listeners yes. what I, and just echo what you're saying? For many people who have come to me with the response of bail reform is taking nonviolent crimes and just being certain that someone isn't being held, detained unfairly for nonviolent crimes. What I believe Sheriff is saying, and which I would have said on prior podcasts, is nonviolent crimes often have human victim. And nonviolent crimes, if I were to read the list from the New York State Penal Code to our listeners, a lot of them will probably be horrified to know what crimes are categorized as nonviolent when you and I would probably, you know, our conscience would probably dictate that that sounds like a violent crime to me because it had a human victim. So I I think that's what you're saying. I don't want to... The other component is um, trafficking sex offenses where they they disseminate uh, obscene images of young children and things. Originally, these were not covered. These were not qualifying offenses, and you couldn't set bail. Mm. And you have to remember that they also blurred the lines between 
presumption of innocence until proven guilty at a jury trial, mm-hmm. if you have a right to, or a non-jury trial, and the purpose of bail. Under the Eighth Amendment, bail could reasonably be set to ensure somebody returns to court. Now, what they're seeing now is an uptick in these mental health cases yeah. where people are brought in, they get released, they're brought in, they get released because, unfortunately, all too often the criminal justice system is used to warehouse people with mental health issues. And in the recent budget of the governor and the legislature, it did not provide for an increase in funding for mental health. And we see this in the homelessness, not oh, only in sure. New York, but in California, in Detroit, in Baltimore. You see it across the country. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so we shouldn't be warehousing mentally ill in, in jails and prisons. Right. However, so many of the people we have in jail and prison are illiterate, have a mental mental health diagnosis, mm-hmm. need treatment that we can't provide. What what the facilities do is medicate them, yeah. and that's not you don't medicate them out of their issue. You can you, you just neutralize them by medication. Sure. So there's a lot that needs to be done to do it right. To do it in, in a country. compassionate way. Because I, I don't look at this bail reform and see compassion anywhere. No. I, I just don't. And and what you're saying, I think, echoes that. The mental health crisis, the addiction crisis. You've said before that, um, in summary, all the failings of every social program we have kind of funnel into the criminal yep. justice system. I, I like so, to say that, yeah. Yeah, it's, and it makes perfect sense. People so. don't understand it, and it's worth repeating in its entirety. Yeah. Uh, what I have found in my 30-some, almost 40 years now, in the criminal justice system as a village police officer, I was in college and law school, a DA, and I was a prosecutor in Nassau County, Long Island, and upstate, yeah. elected DA and judge and now sheriff. The criminal justice system is a reflection of failures of every other system, from the individual themselves Absolutely. to the family system, Absolutely. to the, the Department community. of Social <laughs> Services, to the community, to yep. the education system, to mental health, to the hospital. Every, every other, the educational system, every other system's failures end up in the criminal justice system, almost every system's failures, or everyone in the criminal justice system has a failure in another system. Yeah. They're not, they don't, we've seen in jail and prison that many people are illiterate. Mm-hmm. Uh, literacy is key to getting a good job. Absolutely. Or job skills. Absolutely. So we see a, a lot of things like that. One of the concerns, and I started to say is, when we talk about bail under the Eighth Amendment, the purpose of bail is to ensure you return. Right. Well, if you're homeless, that's a risk factor that you're less likely to return because we can't mail you a summons if we don't know where you live. Correct. And that's part of the bail reform in New York, which is ridiculous. And if you don't show up the first time, we're supposed to email, mail, or cell phone. Many of the people that we deal with in the criminal justice system who are repeat offenders have disposable cell phones. Mm-hmm. They don't have a permanent address. And those are some of the factors that we used to be able to look at as judges have that uh, discretion and 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 making that determination yeah yeah everything you're saying makes total sense and it just you know if you and i had this conversation a year ago we probably would have said the same thing mm-hmm. so the unfortunate thing is there's been lives lost from a year plus ago you know there's there's a body count under this reform and it's it's not going to stop until it changes and my, and my concern too is we're not hearing or seeing about the crimes that are being committed that never make the news and and some elements of this bail reform that are really troubling to me is they really strengthen victim intimidation in my mind um, they really and truly just embolden crime because the, the consequences aren't there and the criminals know it. 
And I think it's it's horribly troubling. And where we live, I don't go to bed at night afraid of a drive-by shooting. I just don't. Mm-hmm. Um, my heart breaks for the people who are trapped in these communities in which the criminals are emboldened. And, and the, the protection around these people, especially children, especially women, has been so eroded that I don't know how law enforcement can possibly do their job. They've had their knees kicked out from under them, their hands tied, and a target put on their back. Now go, and then the spotlight's on you. If you if you mess up, the spotlight is on you as law enforcement. Yeah. So I I something's got to change. <laughs> well, I wanna I wanna elaborate on what you said about how the the victims are victimized again in, yeah. in, in the culture, and the bail and discovery reform mm. have both made it less likely for people to cooperate with law enforcement. For example, within 15 days of your arraignment. The individual defendant gets the name of witnesses and their addresses. Mm-hmm. So if you want to victimize witnesses, your gang, your friends have their names. And and it, it just, it, why would I want to cooperate? There's also, you know, snitches get stitches. And that was before bail reform. And so now they know if they help out, their name and address is going to be out there and what they said. And that's a problem. And the that's other situation that's an issue is... Under the under the discovery rule, a judge can approve and allow a defendant, a defendant and his attorney to go to your house. If you're a victim of a violent rape in your house mm-hmm. or a robbery or burglary in your house, a defendant under the new reform is allowed with his lawyer to come check out your house. You know, talk about being re-victimized. So as I said, we spent yeah. 30 years having input from victims at sentencing, protecting yeah. victims, orders of protection. We've arrested several people for violation of orders of protection or for harassment or aggravated uh, harassment on their significant others, sure, and, sure. and they get released. They get an appearance ticket. So, And we've had them go right back to the victim. Burn the house down. I mean, the this, other night. this has been happening since yeah. the beginning. A guy went back and tried to burn the house with the woman and the kids in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, yeah, I, was, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, but, but you're the right. other night it happened, is that what you were saying? We had one the other night in our, in our county. We had one Saturday or Sunday night where a fellow was arraigned, released by the judge, and went back to the home and started beating up the victim of where the order of protection was placed. So obviously, it's not working. It, 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 but, but that would happen in the past, too. Now, I did want to talk about police reform a little bit. Yeah, please And too. defunding the police movement. We have a small department. I have 110 people, if you include the jail and dispatch. Mm-hmm. Road patrol and investigators... Uh, we have 26 people. Okay. So what happens, um, we take um, and need more training. I agree with that. We need sure. more mental health training. We need de-escalation training. Sure. So what we do is if I, I have four people on a road patrol shift, I have five investigators. Mm-hmm. So if I want to train my shift, I have to have overtime, mm-hmm. which is money. I have to have other people to cover their shifts because you can't do these things in one or two hours. They need to be done couple days you oh, need, yeah. you need to some do it well yeah, training to do it properly if you want to make a difference so that impacts people like my agency with small budgets so sure. when you take a billion dollars from new york city a billion dollars you take from new york city yeah you know they still have overtime costs they have training costs oh. you're depleting them of of funds they need uh we can't have you know the idea that the, the president himself had said Oh, you can shoot to wound somebody, shoot the gun out of their hand. It's unrealistic. It doesn't happen. Um, so defunding police is ridiculous. I think they need more funds. One thing I can tell you that we in law enforcement do terrible, uh, the sheriffs and the DAs, the DAs are cautious. The chiefs can't speak out because they're governed by the city council and the mayor. Mm, okay. A lot of people don't know this, but during 2020 with all the protests and riots, mm-hmm. over 30 
chiefs of police resigned early, retired early, or were terminated by city councils and mayors in some of the largest cities that had the most problems. Yeah. And they were released because they were siding, quote-unquote, siding with law enforcement against the protesters and the rioters. They opposed sure. people taking over police precincts, city halls, and, and blocks. Kicking and, people and, in the head, yeah. you know, burning down buildings with people in it, yeah. And of those 30-plus <laughs> people, and I'm only speaking about the black and Hispanic and female chiefs of police okay. that were removed. That's important. You can Google it. You can look it up. Black, Hispanic loss. men and women. The yeah, and there's the diversity that you saw. Yeah. And the problem is, in my opinion, while law enforcement has a challenging job, and mm -hmm. this year the medical profession as well, but law enforcement's got one of the most challenging jobs within law enforcement. Black and brown officers and females have even more challenges because mm -hmm. they sign up to try to bridge the gap and try right. to help communities they grew up in a lot of them, try to bridge the gap to show that, you know, we are a diverse agency, we want to help everybody, and, and from the police who might be white, um, they may get some distrust or feelings, and then, and then people in their own community that they grew up with, their family and friends. I've read numerous articles and seen interviews. There was a fabulously well-written article by a police officer in the New York Post, mm. uh, a black police officer. He says his, his own family was saying, you're not black anymore, you're blue. You know, and, 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 and he signed up to help. Right. So, so it's right. very discouraging to all law enforcement. Absolutely. It's worse if you're a member of the minority community and you're trying to make a difference. Um, so that's important to note. The other thing, and I, I always say it, and, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, we are the only profession in the United States and the only profession in the world, when you think about it, that you call us racist. You say we get up in the morning wanting to shoot young black males. Mm -hmm. You ambush us in cars in Los Angeles and everywhere else. You throw frozen bottles of water at us. You shoot fireworks at us. And then you turn around and call 911 and you demand we get there. And we go. We don't care what color you are. We don't care what your religion is. We don't care what your gender is. We don't care what your politics are. We go. Right. So we're the only profession that does that. And I, I fear that the, the problem with these reformists and actually Antifa and Black Lives Matter, if you look at some of the statements of some of the leaders, it's not only to to try to bridge the gap and, and make a difference. Some of them actually want to eliminate and get rid of the police and have these, these felony interveners who are unarmed people who spent time in jail and prison. They tried it in, in uh, Baltimore, I think, or Chicago, and they're supposed to intervene before the violence starts. Well, Violence I, interrupters, is yeah, that the term? Violence interrupters. Yeah. But uh, it's interesting to me because the areas that are hit hardest are the minority communities. Absolutely. And you're seeing it every day. Absolutely. You see it in New York. You see it in Chicago. In Chicago, there were there was over 50 kids shot and killed last year under 12 years old. Does anyone know that? Say their names. No one knows their names. You exactly. Know? Yeah, exactly. No, no. I, 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 you're, no, you're not rambling. It all ties in. It's such a it's such a complex issue. It's hard mm -hmm. to discuss one aspect of it without mm -hmm. it overflowing into into another. Um, you did mention our, our Mother's Day gathering in Albany, which was really an attempt to give mothers a voice, uh, mothers who who lost children to crime, to um, the drug culture, all of those things. And I, I just wanted to touch briefly on uh, the fact that what was covered in that event and really the scope of it and the, the whole breadth of it was really not well represented in, in 
the Schenectady Gazette, and I understand that the person reporting it could only be there for an hour. I understand that. That's that I totally take into consideration. Um, what I had a difficult time with was really the smear campaign the next day that you mentioned that really lied about the event, lied about the people involved, lied about the content of it. And I, I have a real problem with that because I don't. I don't mind being insulted personally, but when the public is being lied to, I have a real issue with that. And I, I just want to take a moment to read this and then allow for you to respond because you were there. Mm -hmm. You were there for the entire two hours. You know this reform inside out and sideways. And the average citizen does not. The average citizen believes what they're reading, what they're seeing. And I just want to read this. So this appeared, I believe it was on the 10th. Our gathering was on the 9th. So two years, and this is by the Gazette Editorial Board, no specific names are, are given. <laughs> two years after New York passed reforms to its cash bail system, dishonest politicians are still out misleading the public about them, pandering for votes by scaring people into thinking that liberals are handing out get-out-of-jail-free cards to murderers and rapists. As women and mothers, congressional candidate Liz Joyce said during a sparsely attended Mother's Day rally on Sunday, we have witnessed repeat violent offenders, sexual abusers, domestic violence abusers, horrifically violent gang members be purposely, purposely re released into our streets, into our neighborhoods, affecting our children, our sons and our daughters. Legitimate criticism of any law is fair. But this kind of fear-mongering is dangerous, dishonest, and counterproductive to efforts to reform our judicial system, and no one should either promote these tactics or support those who do. First off, bail is not about punishment. It's to ensure suspects show up for our court to ensure that the public gets justice. Reforms are designed to instill more fairness in a system that rewards suspects with freedom simply because of his or her ability to pay. There are numerous accounts of individuals charged with fair fairly minor nonviolent crimes sitting in jail for months or years because they couldn't pay even modest amounts of bail, needlessly punishing them with job loss, family separation, and other issues before they're ever convicted of anything. The reforms provide other means to ensure compliance with court orders. When New York passed its initial bail reform in 2019 for nonviolent crimes, there were definitely problems. The law, for instance, included too many charges that should have been considered violent crimes and therefore deemed ineligible for automatic release. Unfortunately, there were a handful of circumstances in which violent criminals were issued appearance tickets and later committed new crimes. In response, the legislature in July of 2020 amended the law to close many of its loopholes, including expanding the list of crimes eligible for pretrial detention and making other needed changes. Those stories about waves of violent crime resulting from people being released without bail have proven to be false, with only a few cases attributed to someone released under the reforms. Other states that have passed bail reform, including New Jersey, also did not experience spikes in crimes as a result. It's still too early to determine the effectiveness of the reforms on racial disparities and other goals, and there are still legitimate concerns about the system and more changes that need to be made to ensure fairness to indigent suspects and to protect public safety. But one thing is clear. Spewing fear to gain political points only makes the challenges of reforming an unfair system even more difficult. It needs to stop. So well, on a scale of one to ten, how? <laughs> well, well, here, here's how the here's <laughs> here's the problem. Within their own editorial, they acknowledge that violent criminals were released. A handful. A handful. Unintended consequences. Yes. Yes. The, the we'll problem is, um, some of the states, New Jersey, other states they mentioned, leave some discretion with the judges. Mm -hmm. And the problem you have to understand is, in upstate New York, the judges are elected. 
and responsive to the people that elect them. And if the people don't like them, they can unelect them at the next election. Correct. In New York City, the judges are appointed and mm -hmm. they serve at the pleasure of the mayor and they share the mayor's philosophical views. You know, so a lot of and the many problem, are appointed for life, correct? And, um, Supreme Court are, but not, okay. not, not necessarily city court okay. judges. But but the bottom line is, is that a lot of thing is, is that there's no, they're not accountable to anybody. Mm -hmm. So they can do whatever they wish. So what's funny is within their own editorial, they concede. They do say some, but it was more than some. And if you're the victim of a, a criminal who's been released... Or your child bail, is a victim. Or your, or your child's a victim. <laughs> then it's not just a statistic. It's no. not just a number. It's no. real. So I think it's clear that it was over-the-top criticism based on a few snippets from the, the, the release. Both you and Liz Joy listed many of the charges that are qualifying offenses to, to hold them and also listed the ones that are not so they were released. Um, the flaw in the system is that I, I happen to be on a judicial panel uh, justice for the courts mm -hmm. that made recommendations and the recommendation that we made about public safety was discarded and this was 2019 you made the recommendations yeah. okay so they disregard they disregarded and the panel was made up of judges lawyers prosecutors mm -hmm. and myself who's been all yeah, <laughs> so <right>. so, <laughs> so it was um, well-rounded <laughs> yes so and one of the problems with it is that it doesn't acknowledge that some people are dangerous to society and because of mental health issues, because of uh, volatile relationships and a pattern. And so we wanted the public safety exception so a judge could say, okay, I'm going to remand you without bail or with cash bail, uh, and you're entitled to a hearing, whether it's in 5, 10, 15 days, and revisit it so you're not held indefinitely. But we, we used to call those a cooling-off period when mm -hmm. there was a domestic violence incident on a Friday night when a significant other was intoxicated and physically got into an altercation, often the judges would set a little bail that they couldn't make and then release them on Monday morning and go back to work. Sure. For decades that happened in New sure. York State, okay? So is that is that wrong because they're not convicted of anything or is it makes sense sometimes to have the ability to incarcerate somebody for a short period a cooling off period right same right. thing with the drug court as i mentioned right so so the public safety exception is a that it's federally they have public safety uh exception in their bail so they can hold somebody if they think they're a threat now the other thing that's very important that we should touch on is the violence going across the nation mm -hmm. every major city in many suburban areas have seen spikes in crime. Albany's experiencing it. Schenectady's experienced a little bit, not as bad as Albany, but Baltimore, Chicago, Detroit, they've all experienced it. Um, New York Min is a Minnesota, mess. Minnesota, New mean, York City, uh, every day. Every day they have a list of how many shootings and how many deaths. Face um, lashings on the subway. Uh, just everything. Every day. Asian violence against yeah. Asians, against, there's against everyone, against uh, Hebrews, Jewish people, mm -hmm. everybody. It's not, it's not isolated. It's a hate crime. I tell you what, I don't care what somebody says. If they punch me in the face, break my nose or slice my face, it's a hate crime to me. It doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter what color I am or right. whatever. It's a humanity hate yeah. crime. <laughs> but one thing we do know is the justice Department under President Obama, under President Trump, and prior has said that when it comes to violent crimes, 80% mm -hmm. of the violent crimes in America are committed by gangs. And it says over 80% of the gangs happen to be people of color, black and Hispanic males, usually between 16 and 24. Mm -hmm. Another startling statistic that they don't address, people, and I say they, I mean the press doesn't highlight it, is that in New York City, for example, over 90 percent 
of the homicides and shootings last year against black and Hispanics were by young black and Hispanic males. So the biggest threat isn't law enforcement. In fact, law enforcement is as is, is sad and tragic as it is. Less than 18 people were killed, 18 unarmed black males were killed in 2019 by police. The problem is they get so much publicity. And if you ask an average person, there was a study that they did in Los Angeles, they think that over 1,000 young black males or unarmed black males are killed by police a year. That's not the case. Yeah. And, and it's very sad to me because the damage being done is to the inner cities and to the communities of color. I'll give you a good example. Absolutely. We always hear the term, they're over-policing the urban areas or over-policing the, the inner cities. you got to stop putting too much police in there. Well, we police to statistics. Mm -hmm. So Bill Bratton, Eddie Maple, these people in New York City years ago under Giuliani, they used statistics and they said, we got... 50 robberies in this precinct, we got three in this precinct. Let's, let's send police <laughs> to the 50 robbery precinct. Yeah. We got shootings and stabbings, 75 shootings and stabbings in two months in this precinct, and we have three in this precinct. So, so if you kept all your officers in the two or three, the argument is, oh, look, they're not allowing the police to help people in the poor neighborhoods. They're keeping them in the rich neighborhoods. No, we police to where there's a need. But some people label it uh, over-policing. One other issue I want to mention before we wrap it up is implicit bias. Mm -hmm. I love the implicit bias movement. Implicit bias is the philosophy that you and I don't even know it, but we're in internal racists. We were raised in a society where Aunt Jemima pancake and syrup and rice had symbols that kept minorities down. You know, it's sub they say it's subliminal, it's under the radar, and you just absorb it, and you are implicitly biased, and you don't even know that you're biased. And they say that all, uh, some of these people who allege this say that all whites are inherently racist. All people who are not of color are inherently racist. Now, I will show you the flaw in that is because they say the same, and I say they, and when I say they, I mean the same people preaching that all whites are racist mm -hmm. and everyone's implicit bias, those same professors, those same journalists, they are the same people who say all police are bad. <laughs> and it's interesting because, believe it or not, somebody who I have a lot of differences with, Al Sharpton, has, a, even as though I think he's a race monger and he fires up things, he's also said that they need police in these neighborhoods mm -hmm. because the people rely on them to save them, um, although I think that he's more incendiary and creates more problems than, than healing neighborhoods. Well, a broken clock is right twice a day, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> so that's important. But the implicit bias joke is that they take a few bad police acts and they say all police are bad, all police are racist. So isn't that their implicit bias? It does appear that way. Yeah, and, you is. know, we all owe it to each other to yeah. to look through a lens of objectivity and humanity. And I, I don't see that happening with, with regard to the press and the way that they are promoting a, a whole movement, really, that, in my opinion, it's destroying lives. And it's not taking into consideration, um, like you said, the mental health crisis, the addiction crisis. And I, I wanted to ask you earlier, uh, what kind of money was allotted to your department from the state or even federal government for training in this calendar, in this year? Well, we're still waiting for some of our state funds for our communication center, but the state hasn't sent us anything um, 
they haven't doled out any extra money from the COVID mm -hmm. to our agency. Mm -hmm. uh, the grants that we've applied for in the past, some we've been successful, some we haven't. Mm -hmm. uh, we used to get legislative grants, but when our senator uh, was... Um, in the, was in the majority, we get legislative grants to help fund parts of our department and training. Sure. And now we don't get that because the Republicans are in the minority. I, I do want to mention that um, one of the other things that we, we, we forget is that, you know, Martin Luther King said it best when he said, you know, he wanted little white boys and black boys and white girls and black girls to be judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. Yeah. And, and, and I think that what happens is it's so divisive in this country now that they make everything about race. And I started to say police chiefs were removed, uh, fired, told to resign, retired because those of color were criticized because they weren't they weren't sympathizing enough with the protesters who 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 were then instigated to be rioters. Some of them, sure. and they and and they and they were attacked and the chiefs, I mean, verbally, and they were terminated. Um, and and so to me. That's hurting the cause of let's get to you know let's get this country back together. This is the widest and deepest divide I've ever seen mm -hmm. in my sixty some years in life. And you know, there's people who were born in the '60s. If you were born in the '60s, Emmett Till was was uh, killed in the '60s, and you were mm -hmm. alive, and that was terrible. And I urge everyone to Google that. Mm -hmm. And 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 uh, and that, that was in the '50s. And and in the '60s was the last uh, lynching. Well, there's been lynching since then, but the last lynching that they attributed to the civil rights was in the 60s. So these things did happen. It was terrible. It's awful. And, you know, over 3,000 people of color and, and sympathizers were, were, were lynched in this country uh, after after the Civil War up until the up until the 50s. So it's not, you know, there's a lot of harm that was done. And, oh, of and, course. And, and, but, but a lot of kids I talk to, I talk to the young people, they, they, they don't look at their friend, the color of their friend's skin. They, they have friends of all makes and models, as I say, you know, they don't make the distinctions that the older people make. And I, I really think that that it's gotten so it, we, we started to get to a point where I think Martin Luther King, his dream was almost realized. It's realized that you can succeed in this country. It doesn't matter what your your race, your religion or your politics are. If you work hard and and you, and one of the things we have to do as society is guarantee that everyone has an opportunity. Now, mm -hmm. what they do with the opportunity is up to them. Right. But right. if they're given the opportunity, then they have they shouldn't have a complaint. They shouldn't be allowed to complain if they've got the same opportunity. But it's what you do with it. And unfortunately, we don't do enough early enough to protect our people who have the mental illnesses, to protect the people who are developmentally disabled. There's a lot better things we can do. We have to be sure that that the education gap is brought up to the same par for everyone. The yeah. education gap, not the income gap. The education <laughs> gap will lead to the income gap reducing itself, reducing itself. Yeah, that, that's perfect. That makes a great deal of sense. It truly, truly does. I think it's important to realize, too, that um, the cruelty toward people is not something that has become obsolete on our planet. You know, there are people who are being lynched as we speak. There's people being burnt alive as we speak in other mm -hmm. parts of the world. I think when we realize that we're all so privileged to be 
under the banner of Americans. Mm -hmm. And if we allow this divide and conquer tactic to be successful, we're not going to be that beacon of light for a watching world. Mm -hmm. You know, there are worlds where, you know, there are are nations where, you know, young girls are rounded up and and they're brutalized. And if they resist, they're burnt alive. I mean, people need to understand that even someone on the lowest, lowest income bracket of our society is really living like royalty compared to probably Mm -hmm. 99% of the world's population. I think we lose sight of that. I, I think I, I think we do it more so with this divisiveness of who's got more money, who's who's this skin tone, who's that, and it's just mm-hmm. like, man, can we just be the best humans possible? Can we just do that? Yeah, can't because, we all just get along? You know, and, there's that. Yeah, and, well, the throwbacks other, to the '90s today. But yeah. yeah. And as I wrap up, the only other thing I want to say is there's a movement now across the country to um, change the way in which sheriffs are selected. Right now, we are elected. Okay. They want to make it an appointment system by the local county government. Mm. And they do that because they want to silence the sheriffs because the sheriffs can speak up on topics like I speak up on. Sure. And, and if the voters don't want me next term, they can vote me out. Right. But, but if I can't be fired by the go- government, I can't be fired by the Board of Supervisors. The governor can remove you for malfeasance. Okay. If you do something illegal or improper, he can't do it for political reasons because he doesn't agree with something you say. So the sheriffs are actually the last, I think, one of the last lines of defense to speak up and say, hey, this is craziness. Yeah. This stuff is crazy. Uh, city police chiefs can't do that. They don't have the luxury mm-hmm. of being elected. They're appointed. Yeah. And so the move across the country and they put editorials in Buffalo newspapers and down south and out west. One of the things that scared me is uh, after the insurrection in January, there was actually an article by a CIA Retired CIA agent says, well, there were some law enforcement officers, some sheriffs were there, and sheriffs can appoint who they want, so we got to get rid of sheriffs because they're hiring all these white supremacists. Well, let me tell you something. I don't want a white supremacist working for me. I don't want a QAnon. I don't, I don't want a biker working for me who's in a, the Hells Angels and a violent gang. And they forget that we're governed by civil service in New York. Right. So I, have, I can only hire people who score at a high level, you know. And that's one of the things that, like, I'd like to see a couple reforms. I'd like to see a, a, a crime made out of when a police officer says, um, stand back when they're making an arrest, stand back. Mm. Right now, it's obstructing. It's a misdemeanor. It should be a felony. Gotcha, yeah. And the, and the other thing I, re, I remind people is, I didn't say this. There are many black parents who said this, black grandparents, journalists, and academics who said, you're at a disadvantage if you're a young black male. When the police come to you, do what they say. You can argue in court. Don't resist, don't fight them, argue in court. And so many of these violent incidents are escalated, not by the police, but by the person not dropping what's in their hand, not complying, trying to drive off. Mm. And and it's, it's, you know, it's cyclical. They're saying, well, I got to drive off because the police are going to hurt me. Well, if you showed your hands, drop what's in your hands, comply with law enforcement, there's a lot less of a risk of injury to you. There is, and, and that's I, the problem. And I think a lot of people would agree too that nobody wants yeah. bad cops. You don't want bad nope. cops under your under nope. your authority. Um, and I think everyone would uh, would say that every every area of public service, there's the people that are excellent at what they do, and there's the people that are awful at what they do. Listen, I mean, teachers, profession. whatever. I mean, we have teachers who who 
have been convicted of pedophilia. I mean, you know, and I'm, I'm saying that to just say there are bad apples in every branch of public every service profession. and get rid of them and get rid of them quickly and swiftly and severely. And anybody I talk to in law enforcement says the same thing, you know, because they're they're doing so much damage to to the future for everyone in law enforcement by being there. Eradicate them. You know, I would like to see stiffer penalties for for those, you know, whether it means you know, across the board in public service, people that really break that oath mm-hmm. of serving the public well, you know, there needs to be penalty for that. There needs to be uh, a yeah. substantial deterrent to that sort of thing. Um, and I, I had one question I want to ask you just because it popped up when you were talking. When when you, the term an unarmed individual in, a, in an altercation, in a contact with police agencies, if, if someone is unarmed at the onset of the incident, but they get to a weapon during the altercation, are they still classified as unarmed in the statistics that we, in the metrics that we read? Unfortunately, it's individual agencies who do the reporting. Okay. So some people treat it as unarmed going into the confrontation. But they grab a gun 20 seconds in and they're a, still... Grab a police officer's taser, grab okay. a nightstick. That's the other thing that's that's frustrating. We're losing a lot of potential good people to be police officers. I because can they wanna, They're scared. They don't want to get sued. They don't want to lose their, their house. And they, they can be wanna, privately sued and now. now they with... take, and now they want to they want to remove qualified immunity, which is a conversation for another day. Yeah. And we're, we... We talk about diversity, but they have a civil service system which requires me to pick the top three. Mm-hmm. So if I was allowed to pick pass or fail or the top ten, I'd have a wider pool of candidates sure. than the best test takers. Because because you're a good test taker doesn't mean you're going to be an excellent police That's officer. That's a great point. That's you know? a great point. Thank you very much oh, for Oh, I appreciate your me. time so much. We really do. And I, I hope we'll have opportunity again. And thank you for all you do to serve our community so well, so faithfully. And thank we you appreciate for keeping, you. The, keeping the drumbeat going. We're going to. certainly do. People deserve the truth. <laughs> so to everyone listening, do something amazing today. I love you all. Take care. Come on.